This Week on American Idols. Did you finish mowing the lawn, honey? I sure did. It was so hot out there, I almost took my tie off. Oh, honey. Next you'll be telling me that you're going to mow the lawn in your shorts. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing good on TV? Well, I was waiting for I Love Lucy, but there are so many commercials. Do they think those things will really work? I saw one today, honey, where they were trying to sell two telephones for the price of one. As if any family would ever use more than one telephone. You think that's strange? Piggly Wiggly is selling Coca-Cola in aluminum cans. Aluminum cans? Who's going to drink out of an aluminum can? The next thing you know, they're going to be selling water in plastic bottles. It's the end of summer sale at Montgomery Ward. Dad's tired of pushing that old lawnmower around? We've got the newest riding lawnmowers at 25% off. And moms, those dishwater hands got you feeling down? Check out our electric dishwashers on sale now. Junior, turn the TV off and get in the car. Gee Willikers, is it time for church? No, son, we're going shopping. Well, God always has a better plan. When I decided to do this series months ago and planned this weekend to talk about the God called more, there was no way I could have known that this would have been one of the most tumultuous economic weeks in the history of this country. We've literally seen things happen on the economic scene in our country that we've never seen in our lifetimes. But I've got to tell you, In a week of very discouraging economic news, I have received some incredibly positive financial news. I got an email this week from the office of the Senate in the Republic of Nigeria. (laughs) They are wanting to transfer to me $6.2 million. But it gets better than that. There's some guy in England I learned this week, and I don't even know him, but he's left me the beneficiary to his will, and I just have to contact this barrister, and I will be $30 million richer. But it gets even better. There's a man named Peter T.S. Wong. He's from the Hang Seng Bank of Hong Kong, and he's got this business proposal. He wants to transfer $125 million to this country. And if I'll help him do it, he keeps 65%. I get 35%. And all I have to do is send him some very personal and private information about myself. <laughs> now, I haven't done it because I'm holding out for 50-50. <laughs> and when he comes to his senses, I am going to be $60 million richer And I'm just telling you right now, I'm going to tithe. (laughs) And so when you see the offering one week, 6,200,000, that was me. (laughs) Now, I get these emails every week, and you do too, and I wonder, why do they do that? But they must work for somebody, and it's an indicator of the most popular idol in America. Another indicator is our television programming. Our most popular shows all have the same basic thesis. Somebody is going to get a whole lot more at the end of the show than they have right now. 
whether it's The Apprentice or it's Deal or No Deal or even that popular extreme makeover show that makes everybody cry, the thesis is the same. Somebody's going to have a whole lot more at the end of the show than they do at the start. Remember a few years ago, the most popular show in America, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Do you think they will ever make a TV show called Who Wants to Be an Inner City Social Worker? (laughs) Another indicator of our most popular God are the 30 thousand self-storage units in our country, providing us a billion square feet more of space to keep stuff in, because we don't have enough space at home for all our stuff. This is a 12 billion dollar a year industry, and it didn't even exist 40 years ago. Why? Because we believe in our country almost everything would be better if we just had a little more. But I think maybe it keeps us from having more of Christ. A rich young ruler came up to Jesus one time and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, You need to keep God's commands. Now, it's very important that you remember his answer. He said, I'm doing that. I obey the Ten Commandments. Look at what Jesus did next in chapter 10 of Mark, verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why would he do that? To my knowledge, he's the only person in the Bible who came to Jesus and left Jesus sadder than when he came. Why would anyone choose more for their master? Well, more is a great campaigner. He makes a great sales pitch, this God called more. Let me tell you what he promises. First is security. Now remember, what is an idol? An idol is a functional savior. An idol is anything that you trust to take care of you and save your life. And the more God promises to do this by telling you that with more, you can control your future. See, it doesn't matter what the headlines read. It doesn't matter who gets elected president. If you just have more, nothing in the future can threaten you. And this delusion is so strong that most people, including most Christians, make all of their big decisions based on it. What am I going to major in? Where am I going to live? Am I going to change jobs? You know, forget how many hours I'm having to work and how little time I'm spending with my kids. Or forget that uh, I have a role in my church to play. Uh, None of that's him. What the big question is, will it get me more? You know, but recent events 
have shown that the more God's protection is rather suspect. Because real security ought to be something you can't lose, no matter what happens on Wall Street. But the more God promises you security, it's very enticing. The more God promises influence, the more God says, those with little count for little. And so if you want to be somebody, you better get more. There is tremendous pressure in our culture to show who you are and to achieve significance through things. A simple example every parent can understand. Why is your sixth grader screaming for a cell phone? Is his or her social life so complicated that they just can't exist right now without a cell phone? It's not about that. It is not about communication. It is about the incredible pressure of walking down a hall in middle school and being the only kid who doesn't have a cell phone. And where did the kids learn that? From mom and dad. Because we've bought into this lie that my worth is determined by my net worth. And see, here's what we do then. When we ascribe, you see, the Bible says you get your worth from God. But we think we get our worth from stuff. So we've ascribed to stuff divine attributes. We have made stuff God. And so we buy things we don't need with money we don't have. To impress people we don't even like. But here's the most compelling reason we worship the more God. Happiness. The more God promises happiness. Our culture tries to manipulate us into gratifying artificially created needs. That is why. Now, the number I'm about to give you is going to blow you away. You can't even wrap your mind around it. This year in America... We will print, publish, and mail 40 billion catalogs. I get at least three in the mail every day. You do too. They're not selling products. They're selling happiness. They're selling the message, if you want to be as Filled with joy as the people in these pictures, you better get what they're wearing, what they're driving, what they're spraying on. We're the culture that invented the phrase, the one with the most toys when he dies wins. We believe in life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. But let me ask you a question. This culture... Has more than any culture in the history of this planet. So why can't we get no satisfaction? It's because worshiping the more God is like drinking salt water. The more you bow down, the more you acquire, the more the thirst for more grows you know who understood this was Solomon he had more than anyone who had ever lived in his day 
And he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Those who love money will never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what's the advantage of wealth except perhaps to watch it run through your fingers? Do you remember some years ago when the Exxon Valdez uh, sunk off the coast of Alaska and crude oil covered this pristine beach for miles and people were so upset and millions and millions of dollars were spent to help restore the beach and the animals affected? They would spend up to $80,000 on one seal to help it recover from that accident. True story. Several years ago, they've got two seals. They have spent tens of thousands of dollars helping them recover. They have a big ceremony. They're released into the water. People on the beach are standing and clapping. One minute after they're released, in full view of everybody, a killer whale comes up and eats them both. You see, I don't care how much you spend. The more God can only offer a temporary thrill. What they don't put in the catalogs is what the more God really delivers. Let me tell you what it is. First is financial bondage. Our worship of more has made us a nation of borrowaholics. And it is exactly why we are in the mess we are in right now. And the Democrats are going to blame the Republicans. And the Republicans are going to blame the Democrats. And nobody has the courage to look in the mirror and say, there's the problem. We all want more, even if we can't afford it. Did you know the average income tax filer in this country spends ten times more paying off interest Than they give to charitable causes. This idolatry is destroying more marriages than immorality does. And maybe the greatest tragedy. It is inhibiting the ability of so many Christians to do the work of God. I was talking to an elder of a large church in a suburb recently saying. Man young families are moving out here like crazy. They're coming to church. But our giving is in the tank. Why don't these young families give? And the answer is they can't. They are up to their eyeballs in debt. They're both working too many hours or putting their kids in daycare because they've got a house they can't pay for and two cars they can't finance. And it doesn't matter. They feel bad when they hear about these pleas to do good works. They wish they could do something, but they can't because they are in financial bondage. That's what the more God delivers. Second, it delivers emptiness of the soul. Jesus said, be on guard against greed. Your life doesn't consist of the abundance of your possessions. Jesus said that a rich purse does not guarantee a life rich in purpose. He said that richness of having does not mean richness of being. How many trips to the mall to numb your boredom does it take Before the medication stops working. We've all seen the commercials that have the tagline. If not completely satisfied. Do you realize what a bogus statement that is? 
About what in your life are you completely satisfied? Are you completely satisfied with your car? Completely satisfied with your home? Are you completely satisfied with your marriage? Are you completely satisfied with this church? Are you completely satisfied with the person you stare at in the mirror? Let me give you a little clue. We were meant for Eden. And we lost Eden. And this world is filled with sin. And until Jesus comes back and sets up the new heavens and the new earth, you are never going to be completely satisfied. I don't care how many times you go to the mall. You see, here's the real tragedy. The more God delivers distance from Christ. Why didn't Jesus run after that rich young man? Why didn't he go and say, oh, no, no, I didn't mean sell everything. I meant just give my ministry a gift. Why did Jesus talk more about money than any other subject except the kingdom of God? One-sixth of all his statements, one-third of all his parables are about the problem of more. Because he knew the more God was his chief rival for the allegiance of men's hearts. Please understand, the problem that you and I have is not that we're worshiping more instead of God. Our problem is that we worship more ahead of God. We want to believe we can worship both. And Jesus said, no way. Matthew 6, 24 No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. Be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Remember that young man? Oh, I obey the commandments. That's not my problem. Oh, it was his problem. He was breaking the very first commandment. He had another God. You've got to hear the invitation of Christ as a call to smash your other idols. Zacchaeus did. You remember his story. He's up in the tree. Jesus says, come down. I want to come to your house for lunch. And I don't know what Jesus said. I don't know what they talked about. All I know is that somehow it dawned on Zacchaeus, if I'm going to follow Christ, I've got to smash my idols. Look at what he said in Luke 19. He stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because Zacchaeus traded gods. The real question. Do we want more of Christ or not? I think you do. I think that's why you're here. And so I'm going to give you three suggestions on how to defy the lie. Here's number one. Get more contented. For most of the people I preach to, now I can't speak about everywhere in the world, but I can speak about right here and right now. For most of the people I preach to, our problem is not our income. It is our insatiability. 
And the answer is not for us to get more. It is to learn to desire less. You will never be happy until you learn to enjoy what you have without needing more. And the Bible calls this contentment and says it can be learned. Philippians 4 verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. Contentment is not acquired by acquiring more. It's acquired by acquiring a new way of thinking. Of looking at what you already have. Through the lens of the grace of God. Let me teach you a little expression that will help. It's called, it could be worse. I want everyone to say that right now with gusto. Let me show you how this works. After Bible class, you're going to go and you're going to get in your car. And you might be parked to a car that is twice as expensive as your car. But you are going to say... That's right, it could be worse. You could be one of the hundreds of millions of people that will never drive a car. That don't have the luxury if their child is sick of getting in a car and rushing to a hospital. It could be a lot worse. And then you're going to go to your house. Now, it could be that you're going to drive past a lot of houses that are bigger and nicer. But you have a place to keep the rain off your head. So you're going to say, it could be a lot worse. You could be one of the billions of people that will never in their life go home and turn a faucet and have water come out. Or flip a switch and have light come on. And then you're going to look at your mate. And he's lost some hair and she's put on a few pounds. But they've put up with you all these years. So in the morning when you wake up, you're going to roll over in bed. You're going to look them in the eye and you're going to say, No! You're not going to say that. Are you crazy? But you're going to think it. Because you have learned. To let the Joneses win. Stop trying to keep up with them. They're up to their eyeballs in debt anyway. You've got something better. The Hebrew writer was writing to people that were losing their stuff because they were Christians. But he said to them, chapter 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The Christian has learned that no matter what the headline says tomorrow, God is with me today. And that's enough to have a satisfying life. So get more contented. Number two, get more generous. The more God says, you're an owner. But the Lord God says, you are a steward. One God says getting more is the goal. The other God says 
having more is the means to the goal of blessing other people. I read this neat article by a woman named Robin Lee Shope. She's a committed Christian and she's also a uh, very addicted garage sale shopper. And she says she was at this estate still walking through a house and she found in the back bedroom under some blankets a saxophone. It was in pristine condition, but she had no clue if it was worth anything. She paid $20 for it, and as soon as she did, she started to have regret that I just get taken. So she called her husband on her cell phone, said, get on eBay and see what this thing might be worth. Well, he got on eBay and said, I can't find any on eBay. And she said, oh no, what have I done? She's walking out of the house, and this old man walks up and says, I'll pay you 20 more than you paid for that saxophone. She thought, great, I'll dump this thing and make $20. And she was excited. Until she went home, got on eBay herself. Her husband had made a mistake, went to the wrong place. She found three saxophones just like the one she sold. And they were all selling for over $500. And she was deflated. And she even says, that night I couldn't go to sleep. I was so restless and filled with regret at the big uh, way I'd lost that chance to make all that money. And then she was feeling guilty because she's a Christian. She shouldn't feel bitter about it. So she got up and she made her some little cards with scriptures on them. She memorized 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. And every time she started to feel bitterness about losing that money, she'd say that verse, hold up her hands and praise God. She said it helped. So it's several months later. She's pretty much over it. She's at a garage sale and she sees that old man. And a little bit of regret comes back and she turns her back. But he sees her. He says, have you found any treasure today? And she says, no, not any. And then he grabbed her arm and said, I want to thank you for your generosity. I'm retired and that saxophone has rekindled my love for music. And I'm using my time now to teach children how to play instruments. And she had this great line. She said, I thought that old man stole my blessing. And now I realize that old man was my blessing. In the March issue of Science Magazine, the University of British Columbia and Harvard University published a study called Money Can Buy Happiness. These two universities did a very extensive research, and here's what they found. That there is no marginal register of improved happiness just by getting more money. You can take a person, they said, making $45,000 a year and suddenly raise them to $100,000 a year and there is no noticeable improvement in their marriage or in anything in their life that brings them happiness. In fact, it says it seems the stress levels go up. But they did find out money can buy happiness. They published and said, what we learned is it's not, it's not having more money, it's how you spend the money you have. We learned that even just as much, a little as $5 a day given away to help a kid go to camp, to help a needy lady pay an electric bill, will markedly increase a person's personal happiness. And so the most esteemed learning institution in our country has published in Science Magazine a study with this conclusion. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I thought 2,000 years ago somebody said that. (laughs) Timothy 
receive these words from the Apostle Paul, chapter 6. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But to trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. They should give generously to those in need. Always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of real life. That leads right into the third suggestion. Paul says there's a future. There's a world beyond this world. So get more perspective. If your life is centered on having more of this world, your joy will always be contingent. Because there will always be the possibility of a headline tomorrow that will take away some of this world. Lasting joy is not found in things that don't last. And so again, to those Hebrew Christians, under persecution, the writer says, chapter 10, verse 34, you suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew you had better things waiting for you in eternity. God has graced me to get to know Ben and Pat Merrill. Ben's in his 80s now, still preaching. He built a great church in California, retired in his 60s, moved to St. Louis, started preaching for a little church of 300. It's grown to over 2,000. This last summer, I heard him tell a story. When they were living in California, this time they're in their 60s. They're in Fullerton, California. They're driving down one of the busiest streets behind a pickup that looks like it's full of furniture. And the pickup hits a bump in the road and out spills about a bunch of what he thought were chair legs, table legs, something. His wife, Pat, says, pull over, pull over. And he does. She says, get out. I'm going to drive. I'm going to go catch them and tell them that they've dropped some stuff. You get out in that street and collect all that stuff. He says, I don't know why I do this stuff, but I did. And so she takes off. And here I am in one of the busiest streets in California, dodging cars, trying to collect all these table legs and furniture legs. And I finally collect them, and I'm standing on the side of the walk, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm sweating, and I'm sweating. And finally, my wife pulls up in the car, and I said, well, did you catch them? She said, yeah. And are we going to take this stuff to them? She said, no, they were just hauling it all to the dump. (laughs) And some of us are killing ourselves. So we can have more stuff for our kids and grandkids to haul to the dump. I will not worship that which is destined to burn up. The one who dies with the most toys dies. And then he meets God. And when you stand before God, the things that really matter won't be things. And that's why this morning I deliberately chose to have 
our time of communion after the sermon. I'd like the brothers to take their places, please. Our world is diseased by the worship of the more God. Our world needs the witness of a people whose joy doesn't depend on what happens at Wall Street. Our world needs the witness of a people whose joy is not contingent on things outside their control. And so we gather every week to recalibrate and remember where our joy comes from. There's an old song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so for the next few moments, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Father, now we take this bread We take it in honor of the sacrifice of Jesus who became poor so that we could become rich in the things we can never lose. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, the Bible says that Jesus, though he had it all, emptied himself so that we could have what we could never have without him so in the next few moments as we take this cup as we think about the blood of christ help us to empty ourselves of anything that's keeping us from being full of him in jesus we ask it amen the apostle paul says If we have food and clothing, we will be content. The Hebrew writer says, learn to be content. Because God has promised never to forsake you. Do you understand, Christian, what an affront it is to a holy God to try to explain why you can't find happiness? Because you have all your basic needs. And you have God in your life every day. But you need more than that. Our world so desperately needs the witness of a people who've smashed the more God. Be that people. You can be that people. Now, if God's working on your heart, you might want to go to our chapel and meet with our elders and pray this morning about what you need to do to be a God worshiper. Fully and completely. If you're ready to confess Christ. Be baptized into his death and resurrection. I'd like you to come down to the front today. And let's start that journey of discipleship. Even this morning. We're going to sing that song that we learned just a moment ago. Think about the words. As we honor God. Let's all be standing please.